Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts again. We're in Acts chapter 6 this morning, and then we're going to move into chapter 7. This is on page 914 if you're using the blue Bible in front of you. I'm going to begin reading in the 8th verse of Acts chapter 6. You follow along as I read out loud. Luke records for us in verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon Stephen and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sit in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Verse 1 of chapter 7 says, And the high priest said to Stephen, Are these things so? <clears throat> what follows then in chapter 7, the first significant portion of that chapter, is Stephen's defense, if you want to call it that. He preaches a sermon to them, and he tells them their history, going back to Abraham through Moses. He tells what God had done in the life of his people. But along the way, he reminds them of the rebellion of God's people during that time as well. Now drop down to verse 51 in chapter 7. We're going to pick up the story at that point after he's given them this history lesson. In verse 51, Stephen said, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered yourselves. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. With this story today, we see the continued opposition against the early church. Last week we saw Peter and John as they were incarcerated overnight and then brought before the council to give defense of what they were teaching about Jesus when they healed that lame man. But today, the persecution, the opposition goes up a notch. In Stephen, we see what it means to be a Christian. At the end of the story, we see him saying, Father, forgive them. Just like Jesus did when he was killed. Father, receive my spirit. Just as Jesus did when he was being killed. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. To do things that Jesus did. To live the way he did and to act as he did. In Stephen, we see an example of how we are to be as Christians today. But we also see what happens when people consistently live out their faith. He's killed. He is killed for his faith and yet he is still a model for us today. Why is that important? In part because what we're seeing today when you turn on the news almost daily. Christians now around the world being persecuted. Christians being beheaded. How many of us in our lifetime ever thought we would hear stories of Christians being beheaded for no other reason than they're Christians? Yes, in the Bible we're told that these kinds of things will get worse and worse before Jesus returns, but we never thought we would see it in our lifetime. This is an important story because we see in the early church this is what they faced too. Let's walk through the story briefly before we apply it to our lives today. Who is this Stephen that we see in chapter 6, 7? Well, Stephen was an early convert to Christianity. He was an early church member, and he was part earlier in chapter 6 of a problem, a solution to a problem that they were having. Some of the widows were not receiving the food that the church had for them. They were distributing food, and some of the women were being neglected. They weren't receiving that food. And so as part of the solution to that problem, they said, well, let's appoint some men to make sure that these women, these widows, get the food. Well, Stephen was one of those seven. This was probably one of the earliest forms of Meals on Wheels. Seriously, they would take food right to the women, and Stephen was part of that process of making sure these widows got food. But Stephen didn't just do ministry to widows. He was also preaching about Jesus and doing what we're told signs and wonders. 
He was doing miracles. This, of course, got the attention of the authorities as it did last week with John and Peter when they healed that lame man. They even get people then to bring false charges against Stephen. They make up lies about him. When he's given a chance to defend himself, he doesn't really defend himself. He preaches a fiery message. He riles them up that at one point the text tells us that they were grinding their teeth in anger at what he was saying. So enraged, they drag him out of town and they stone him. Now, I have to clarify that because we run a drug rehab program in the church. And many years ago, I was preaching a story on Stephen. And I said, you remember, Stephen, the guy that got stoned. And all the pathway guys, they set up and they're like, really? There's a guy in the Bible that got stoned? That's not what it means in the book of Acts. To be stoned was they took rocks about the size of a baseball and they would throw them at you until you were dead. He was executed through stoning, is what happened to him. But what do we learn from this guy? What do we learn from Stephen that we can apply to our daily lives today? Well, let me give you a few things. Jot these down on the back of your worship order. Tuck that in your Bible, and during the course of the week, just pull that out and review that to remind yourself some of the things that we we learn today. What do we learn from Stephen? Number one, he knew Their history. He knew biblical history. He went back and he told them the story of Abraham, the story of Moses, and what God had been doing in the life of of the people of God through all those years. This is a problem for us because many of us don't like history. And second, we don't know it. How many of us do not know the basic history, the basic overview of the Bible? Yeah, we know some stories here and there. When people remind us of those stories, oh yeah, I I remember that story, I've heard it. But how many of us know the history of the Bible and can give a coherent explanation of which came which? When came which? You know, who was first, Noah or Moses? Do you know? Abraham or Adam? Who was first? What's the story that's going on? Stephen knew this. Biblical history is a history of the work of God. And if we don't know biblical history, we don't know the work of God. We are woefully ignorant of this biblical knowledge today. But not only did Stephen know the history, he knew the the facts He also, number two, knew the theology. Now, this is even worse. When we start talking about history, our eyes glaze over. But when we start talking about theology, we fall asleep. We do not know the basic flow of biblical history, but even worse, we're lacking in our understanding of basic theology. What was going on? What was God doing in these events? What was the point? We see stories in the Old Testament of God's judgment. The flood through Noah or Sodom and Gomorrah. We see God getting ticked off 
But other than the fact that God was really angry, what was the theology behind those stories? Do we even know? Stephen did. Now don't get me wrong. You don't have to have a PhD in theology to understand all of these things. We need to have, though, a basic understanding of the big stuff. For example, salvation history. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a Christian? That's basic theology that we need to know. Such as, no one is good enough to get to heaven on their own. No one. Every person has a sin problem that will keep us out of heaven. Even people that we consider good are not good enough to get into heaven on their own. This is theology. This is what we believe is part of our faith. We can't work our way into heaven by good works. Not because we can't be, it can't be done. It's impossible. And so when someone tells you, I believe I'm going to heaven because I think I'm a good person, they don't understand basic doctrine, basic theology. Because the Bible is unmistakably clear that no one can be good enough to earn their way into heaven. This is basic theology. It can't be done. Only faith in Jesus Christ and trusting His work on the cross, His death, will provide salvation for us. His death pays for our sins. And the way that we accept His death and apply it to our lives is by committing ourselves to following Christ for the rest of our lives. Not so we can earn salvation, but because we are believing the salvation that God has provided. These are the basics about salvation. And we need to not just know these things, we need to be able to explain that to people. How can we witness for Christ if we don't know the basics? Another one that's important is our theology of the Bible. The Bible is... Anyone? The Word of God. And you'll hear people say, well, that's just a book written by men. Well, guess what? That's half true. And half true means it's wrong. Yes, the Bible was written by men. We don't claim, as Mormonism does, that the, the Word of God fell on tablets from heaven. We believe the Bible is as what it says it is. It was written by men. But they were men who were moved by God. They were inspired by God to write what they wrote. And so when someone says, well, that's just what men wrote, as if it doesn't mean anything. No, this is the Word of God. And because of that, the Bible tells us what to believe and how to live. Well, why do you believe that? Because that's what the Bible says. Basic doctrine, we need this as we go out into the world and explain our faith. If we don't know these things, as Stephen did, how can we tell others about God? Unfortunately today, though, too many of us do not know history, biblical history, nor do we know the theology. And we hide behind that excuse and we say, well, I can't tell others about Christ because I don't know enough. And we stay comfortably hidden behind that excuse, I don't know enough so I can't talk about God. That's unacceptable. 
It's absolutely unacceptable for us to stay ignorant and to use our ignorance as an excuse for why we can't witness. Let me give you an example. The example, it's not a good one, but it's the best I could come up with. It's the example of Daryl. Daryl has been coming to our church for a little over three years. He committed his life to Christ. When Daryl came in, to say he didn't know anything about God is an understatement. I'm pretty sure he didn't even know which came first, Old Testament or New Testament. He didn't know anything. Okay? But after three years of being in the church, we can't say that anymore. Daryl knows quite a bit about what we believe and why we believe it. Because he's gone to classes. He's gone to Bible studies. He's read things. His knowledge, his understanding has grown because he's worked on it. He didn't know anything three years ago. And you know what? Three years ago, that was understandable and that was acceptable. You've never been part of the church. So how could you know this? But he didn't stay there. He grew in his knowledge. He grew in his faith. And it shows. How many of us, though, have been in the church a lot longer than three years? And we don't know these things. And what's worse is not only do we not know these things, we're not doing anything significant to grow in our knowledge, to grow in our faith. And we stay, again, behind that wall of ignorance and say, well, I don't know. Okay, I get it. You don't know. What are you doing about addressing that? Stephen, when he went out, he was able to witness to the power of God and what God was doing in Christ because he knew their history. He knew the theology. What about you? I venture to say that in our church today, Daryl knows more than 90% of us sitting in this room right now. And some of us have been in the church 10 times as long as he has. It's unacceptable for us to not know more about what we believe. To stay ignorant is unacceptable. Number three, not only did Stephen know their history, he knew their theology, but he also was a servant. This is important. When the church needed some people to address the material needs of these widows... And they came to Stephen and said, Stephen, we need some help. Stephen didn't say, you know what, I'm, I'm just too busy. Get somebody else to do it. Stephen stepped up and was part of the solution. You see, we remember Stephen because he was the first Christian to be executed for his faith. He's the first martyr in the church. But before that, he was a servant in the church. Today, there are still far too many people in the church who do little or nothing when it comes to the work of the church. You are not a partner of what we do here if you are not helping with the work. Because partners do not sit and watch other people do the work. Partners get involved and help. Do you know what we call people who sit and watch other people do the work? We don't call them partners. We call them spectators. We have far too many people in the church who claim to be part of the church. 
but they're not partners in the church because they don't do anything but watch other people do the work. We don't need more spectators in the church. We need no more partners. Stephen was not a spectator. He was a servant. And he served others within the church. Number four. Stephen was also a courageous witness for Christ. Look at verse 51 in chapter 7. Stephen looks at these people after he gave them their history lesson, after he told them the theology, then he looks at them in verse 51 and he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Stiff-necked is another way of saying proud. They're so proud they won't bend their neck in submission to God. But Stephen was not speaking to people who didn't believe in God. These are people who thought they were like this with God. They thought they were the people of God. He was speaking to people who thought they had a great relationship with God. They went to the temple every week. Look at verse 52. Stephen says, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those prophets who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Now, as you read these words, he is definitely not trying to calm things down. His point here is twofold. He said, your fathers killed the prophets, and they did. The prophets came to give testimony and to predict the coming of Jesus, and they did. He said, your fathers killed the prophets that told us Jesus was coming. And then when Jesus got here, you killed him. Your fathers killed the prophets who predicted him, and then when he gets here, you killed him. You're just like your dad. How many times do we hear people say that, and we don't mean that in a good way? He's like, you're just like your fathers. Killing the people of God, the prophets and the Messiah. Then... In verse 48, he starts speaking about God not dwelling in a place in a temple. Now we understand this today, that God is is everywhere. God doesn't live in a house. You didn't come here to be with God because this is the only place God is this morning. Verse 48, he says, The Most High does not dwell in a house made by hands. When he said this, this was too much. Because that term, made by hands, doesn't seem significant to us, but it was huge. Because in that day, particularly in the Old Testament, to have something made by hands was a way of referring to idols. Because that's how you made an idol. You fashioned it with your hands. And so you have the true, infinite God who was not made by hands versus idols that were made by hands. And so when he started referring to the temple as this thing made by hands, he was saying, it has become your idol. You could just see the rage in them when he said that. 
That was too much. This was the same charge that they brought against Jesus. Jesus said, you can destroy this temple, but I'm going to build a temple that you can't destroy. He said, this temple has been made by hands. He said, it will be destroyed and, and God is going to make a temple that will be built without human hands. It'll be something done by God. Stephen is pointing out that they were trusting in the wrong things. They were trusting in these religious symbols, the temple. They trusted that they were children of Abraham, so that made them right with God, they thought. One of the reasons that they were getting so angry at Stephen was he was telling them that their faith was misplaced. Have you ever been talking about God to somebody and you begin to start sharing with them about salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone and they start getting angry with you? Oh, 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 so you're telling me I'm not going to heaven? And they start pushing back hard. Because this is the religion, this is the faith that they grew up in. How many people do you know who are trusting the fact that they were baptized when they were a baby as proof that they're going to heaven? And as soon as you start talking to them about faith in Christ and what it means to be a Christian, they immediately come back and say, but I was baptized as a baby. As if that settles it all. As if they are good to go because of that. Stephen said, you are putting your trust in the wrong things. And they were furious. And what happens? What happens is when you begin to start challenging what people believe and telling them the truth from God's word, they get angry. And when they can't argue against what you're saying, they begin to attack you. And so that's what they did with Stephen. They couldn't refute what he was saying. So they began to start making accusations against him. And the great thing about accusations is, did you know this? They don't have to be true. They didn't have anything on Stephen, so that's not a problem. We'll just make something up. And so they do. They make up accusations and say that he was teaching something that he wasn't. They were sincere in what they believed, but they were sincerely wrong because they were trusting in the wrong things. Well, what's our takeaway from this? What do we learn from looking at Stephen? What do we learn from his example? Well, number one, by looking at Stephen and what he did, we can see very clearly we are not sharing our faith the way that we should. We are not talking courageously about what we believe. What would happen today if the government were to outlaw being a Christian? What if being baptized as a Christian would cause you to lose your job? In the book of Hebrews, we're told that early believers were having their property confiscated because they were Christian. What would happen if the word went out, if you are a professing Christian, if you are proclaiming your faith in Christ, the government will come in and take your home and just kick you out and say, it's ours now. 
Would you still be a follower of Christ? If it would cost you your job, if it would cost you your property, or maybe even cost you your life. Interestingly, I've not watched any of them. I don't want to see them. But I know that there have been people who've watched those videos of the Christians being executed. They actually videotaped. How sick is that? The cutting off the heads of these Christians. I do not know of one example, do you, of any one of those men who had their heads cut off who renounced Christ to save their life. Not one. God bless them for standing firm to the end. Could you do that? Could you do that? And I know people are coming, oh preacher, if they ever did that, I would, I would stand up for Christ even if they were going to kill me. I want to believe that too. But I don't know. I have strong faith. Just ask me. But if they put a knife to my throat, would I confess Christ and die? Or would I say, I don't believe that stuff. I don't know. None of us knows until you're, you have the knife to your throat. We are not courageously witnessing for Christ though. Look at Stephen's example. Surely, and you know this, when you're talking and the person that you're talking to is getting angrier, getting more upset at what you're saying, you can see it. Don't tell me Stephen didn't see the anger rising within these people. And he kept going. He didn't back down. Oh, no, oh, you, you must be mis- I see you're getting angry. You must be misunderstanding me. He just keeps going. He courageously stands firm. Now, I want you to notice though, how many of us are afraid to start witnessing? Because we're afraid the person might become angry. So we don't say anything. Stephen kept going even when they were getting angry. But notice here, Stephen's courageous witness for Christ. But remember what I said? He was also a servant in the church. What we need to learn today is we don't have to make a choice one or the other. We can be both. And we have some people in the church who are great servants. But they're not great witnesses. Too many of us are guilty of being silent servants in the church. Just quietly working behind the scenes. And we need people who will do that. But in addition to that, we need to be bold and vocal and speak up for Christ in our world today. We can't be content to just be in the church and to serve in the church amongst ourselves where it's safe. We are called to live out our faith in the world where it's not safe. I saw a quote yesterday. I love this quote. It says, love runs toward people. It doesn't cause us to move away. 
Fear is what causes us to move away. Love drives us toward people. And how many of us in fear are pulling back and we're not loving those people around us and telling them the truth about Christ? Yet Jesus said, one of the closing things He said is, Go and tell others about Me. Make disciples, in Matthew 28 He said. But then at the close of that He said, And I am with you always. Why are we not afraid as we go forward? It's because we have Christ with us. And when Stephen is being stoned, when they're killing him, he looks up into heaven, and what does he see? Jesus. Right there. Watching over him. Not protecting him from death, but protecting him through death. As he's ushered home to be with Christ. But as we start talking about Stephen and his courage and his witness for Christ, how many of us are even right now thinking, I could never be that guy. I could never be that kind of Christian. People like him, God bless them, but but that's just not me. I could never be a bold witness for Christ. But as I read the book of Acts and what the Holy Spirit is doing, yes, you can. Why? Because you have the same Holy Spirit in you that Stephen had in him. Stephen wasn't this courageous witness because he was such a wonderful person. The power, the strength, the courage came from the Holy Spirit. And when we say we can't be bold witnesses for Christ... We are looking at ourselves, we're not looking at the Spirit. We can be that kind of Christian. Now, how many of us, though, will ever be called to be a Christian like Stephen and stand up for our faith under the fear of death? Honestly, ISIS could be a million miles away for how much it's affecting us. It disturbs us to see it on the news. But how many of us go to work and say, I better not tell anybody about Jesus because ISIS might come and cut my head off. Now, most of us in this room today will probably live out our natural lives and die as Christians have around the world for thousands of years. Most of us here, maybe not any of us, are actually going to have the fear of death because of our faith in Christ. We might face opposition, we might face ridicule, but nobody's going to kill us for our faith. But you know what? I know lots of people who say, but I would, I would, I'm telling you, if they came, I'd stand up for Jesus. They'd have to kill me. I don't know. But we're not called to hypothetically Live for Christ in the possibility that we might be executed. We are called to live for Christ in the reality where we are today. And see, here's the kicker. You don't know what you would do under the threat of death. I don't know what I would do. But you do know how you live for Christ right now. How did you live for Christ this past week? How many people know that you're a Christian where you work? 
How many people did you look at recently and say, I love you to death and I want you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Because if you don't commit your life to Christ, you have no hope of eternal life. How many of us say that to people around us? We don't. We just sit and, and oh, they need Christ. They need Christ. They're lost. But we don't tell them that. We don't speak up for Christ. How many of us thought, though, that, that Christians would ever lose their life because of being Christians in our lifetime? We didn't. But it's not what you do then that counts. What matters is, are you willing to die for Christ now? If you're not willing to live for Him in your daily life now, what makes you think you would die for Him under the threat of, of execution? We need Christians today who are going to stand up for Christ even though there is no fear of death. To sacrifice our lives and to tell others around us who Jesus is. What good is it to say in here, oh, I die for Jesus. Trust me, I die for Him. What good is it to say that in here, but then not go out there and tell anyone about Christ? This is not a maybe. Maybe we should tell others about Jesus. No, this is a definite. We have been told. We've been commanded to do it. And we can be surrendered Christians to the same Holy Spirit that Stephen was. We can be. A priest was talking one day and he says, as I read through the book of Acts, he says, it seems like everywhere they went, there was an uproar. He said, everywhere I go, they serve tea. Right? When was the last time you caused an uproar in your life because of Christ and telling others of their need for a Savior? We're just social Christians. We're just churchy kind of people. We do the Christian stuff in here, then we put our Bibles on the shelf, and we go live in the world like everybody else. Oh yeah, we may be better than other people in some ways, but we're not followers of Christ. Jesus didn't die on the cross to save us from our sins so we could be nice, comfortable, safe, social Christians. Jesus called us to be Christians like Stephen. Jesus said, you will be hated for my name's sake. That's what he said in Matthew 10. You will be hated. How many of you this morning can honestly say that there's anybody, anybody in your life that hates you because of Christ? Yeah, we've got people who hate us, but it's not because we're Christians. It's not because we're telling them of their need for a Savior. Jesus said, you'll be hated because of me, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We are so timid, we won't tell anyone about Christ. Well, that's not enduring. That's not persevering faith. That's not courageous. What are you trusting in today for your salvation? Are you trusting in the fact that you come to church or you're a good person? Or do you believe the core value that we have that only 
those who've committed their life to Christ are going to be saved. What are you trusting in today? Answer this simple question by finishing this sentence. When I die, I believe I will go to heaven because... Finish that sentence. In your life, when you die, do you believe you'll go to heaven? Why? If you say anything other than, I believe I'll go to heaven because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and I've committed my life to Him, you don't know what salvation means. But for those of us who have committed our lives to Christ, a committed life to Christ looks like Stephen. Where we are boldly telling others about Christ, regardless of what it's going to cost us. Regardless of whether they want to hear it or whether they like us. Today, the challenge is for us, will I be submissive to the same spirit that Stephen was? You don't think that Stephen had a part of him that was, that was afraid? But he didn't follow his fear, he followed the spirit. He did what God called him to do through the Spirit. And God blessed him. And he received eternal life. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and to bow your head this morning. No one looking around. We're going to have an invitation this morning, but it's going to be a little different. Instead of standing and singing, we're going to have a prayer invitation today. Just in the quietness of this moment, no one looking around, this is a time for you to get serious with God. What kind of Christian are you? Are you just a social Christian? Are you a Christian in name only? We are called to sacrifice our lives for Jesus. Maybe we'll never be executed for our faith, but we are to sacrifice the life we have by giving it to others, to telling them about Christ. If you've been sitting back in fear, afraid to share your faith with others, your friends, your family, your co-workers, then you're not a follower of Christ. You may be a church member, you may be a spectator, but followers of Christ follow Christ and tell others about Him.